I made it work. Uh, you can try it. You can make anything work if you do enough research, look into it, start small, do a little trial area here and there. It's been through trial and error on our farm that we've gotten to the plan that we are today, where we plant the portions of the field. You know, having to spray the entire field in the spring was not something I wanted to continue to do. It has shaped our cover crop program. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey everyone, Tyler here, field agronomist with A Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. I hope that you're having a great day and thank you for tuning into our podcast. We appreciate the time that you give us not only here on this platform, but also on our Facebook page. Now today, we have an awesome guest joining us from West Central Minnesota. We're going to continue this discussion on cover crops kind of pick his brain, get his ideas on how he does it in their operation, kind of share some of their practices and how they utilize the whole system ultimately to increase soil health and increase bottom line. It's my pleasure to welcome Robin to the show. Thanks for joining us today, Robin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I got to share with you a little bit ago before we fired this thing up is that, you know, we're doing this series and we've got three fantastic interviews, uh, you being one of them. Guys in different areas, we've got Central Ohio, Central Illinois, and you're in West Central Minnesota. And basically three different backgrounds, three different experience types. So I, I'm extremely thrilled to be able to to talk with you today. But why don't you just go ahead and share with the audience a little bit Again, uh, you know, who you are, where you're from, and what you're kind of currently doing. Yeah, sure. Uh, we are located in West Central Minnesota. So we're right in the little bump on the western half of the state. We're very close to the South Dakota and North Dakota border. We are primarily a corn and soybean farm. We have raised a lot of wheat in the past, but uh, we've kind of gone by the wayside with wheat and just stuck to corn and soybeans. Used to raise livestock for years, but they've kind of gone by the wayside as well. So we don't have near as much access to manure anymore. That's really what drove us into cover crops, looking at things that we can do to help improve soil health without spending a ton of money on fertilizer. And a primary reason we started looking at cover crops was for erosion control. We are very hilly, a lot of our land. And just something to hold that soil on the side hills. We've had many times where we still get a lot of snow. So any snowmobilers out there, we get lots of snowmobiling in the winter. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to get people calling you all the time to ask if they can rent your ground just to run the snowmobiles on. <laughs> yeah. So especially this year, it's great snowmobiling this year. But when all that melts in the spring, it's going to take the soil with it. So we like to get that cover crop out there in the fall and get it started so it can help hold that soil in place for the spring. I'm really glad that you said that because I know that, you know, depending on how these things break out and how they air, I was talking to Brad Zimmerman and, you know, he said that one of the things that that he has to to figure out a goal, like what's your intention with these cover crops? You've got to be intentional with it. You can't just go out there and, you know, select a ryegrass and say that you're planting covers and, and you want to help with, you know, weed control or, you know, you're going to plant in some soybeans or something for your cash crop. You don't want to go in with another legume or something like that. So I appreciate that you kind of mentioned that you really started this really on the erosion side. I thought it was interesting that you brought up synthetic fertilizer 
And, you know, to me, it's interesting that we live in a time where guys are looking at, you know, spending $100, $200 an acre on fertility. And I always say, wouldn't that be a novel concept if we could get to the point where we're utilizing a cover crop system with our cash crop system and we wouldn't necessarily need to apply any additional synthetic fertilizer and I got a little, you know, I, I have a lot of people that, that look at me, but I absolutely believe that when you do the system correctly, and, and I know that's one of the things that you're going to touch on today, is that there's a process involved. It's not an easy thing. You don't just go out and buy that ryegrass and jam it in the ground and then do whatever you want later on. There's kind of a, a plan that you need to have in place and some practices. So excited about hearing your story. So what was it that got you kind of going down the kind of that, that soil health side of things? I know you kind of mentioned that you took, started to take over the farm, you know, eight-ish or so years ago. And what was it that, that really drove you down that path? Was there a thought before or it was just like, oh, all of a sudden I need to, to try to figure out how to put cover crops down because we don't have any more livestock? Yeah, definitely not quite that route, but yeah. um I tend to be a very heavily data-driven person, and I tend to really want that field to look pristine. Yes, I want the yield, of course, we all do, but I want it to look pristine as well. So when I see large yellow areas out in my field, I want to know why. I want to know what's happening out there. And a lot of our areas, because we're so hilly at the bottom of the hills and, and certain areas, even on top of the hills where it's a little bit of a low area, where the water doesn't drain off, I was seeing so many areas of uh, iron deficiency chlorosis. And I know my folks for many years had dabbled with some cover crops to help lessen those areas. So we just took it to a larger scale and, and started hitting those areas for multiple years in a row with cover crops. And we almost instantly started seeing results. We started seeing much smaller areas Of course, we were doing some drainage to improve the soil, the drainage in those areas, but we were getting so much ponding of water in those areas. And by putting cover crops, we're improving the ability for that soil to filter that water to get it down in the soil rather than just sitting on top. So year by year, our IDC areas, the large patches of yellow, were getting less and less and less all the time. That was another benefit of it. And it it was just a ton of research trying to determine, will this work? Is it something that (laughs) is a benefit? Well, my parents had firsthand knowledge of it because they had been doing it for many years, but again, on a much smaller scale. That was another major reason we got into it is just not wanting to see those yellow areas in the field. And I was also tired of replanting those areas. <laughs> so they they turn yellow and then they would die and I'd go replant them. But then I'm scratching my head thinking, there's got to be a better way. This isn't right that I should be replanting them only to have them come up yellow and die again. Right. So that, that kind of pushed us into doing more research into figuring out how we can help those areas. So what did you uh, kind of eventually land on as, as far as a cover crop blend. I, I know when you talk with some people, they, they talk about, oh, you need a six-way or a 12-way or an 18-way mix or, or whatever. So what's been kind of your own personal experience about the different varieties or, or these specific blends that are kind of working for you in that West Central Minnesota area with, you know, especially this yellowing, this IDC issue that you've got? Well, we started out following some wheat because at the time when we started, we did have a little bit of wheat yet. So we were 
playing around with things like field peas with cereal rye, <laughs> tiller radishes, turnips. It was a four blend mix. And I really enjoyed that mix because the tiller radishes, they go down just in very impressive how they go down into the soil yeah. and open up the soil and loosen it up and get rid of some of the hard pan. So I really, really like that mix. But if you try to plant that mix following soybeans or corn, there's just no time for anything to get started. And we really wanted something to survive out there all winter. So we wanted it to grow as long as it possibly can following our soybean crop or corn. And then we wanted an early start on it in the spring to help soak up some of that excess moisture. Because remember, we're, we're planting it primarily in a lot of the wetter areas of the fields. So mm -hmm. we want that to suck up some of that excess moisture before we go out there and start planting. We really kind of fell on a cereal rye it, with a very, very fibrous root system. It's a, a very impressive root system Yes, uh, that's in the field. And it grows incredibly well late into the fall, and it gets started very, very early in the spring. So that's primarily what we've been using the last few years. As much as I love the radishes and the turnips, it just doesn't work following a soybean because it just can't get started. Yes. Yeah. And so I wanted to touch on that quickly. So I know that both Nathan and Brad mentioned that if wheat does work in your operation, that they feel like that's a fantastic, you know, when you look at rotating cash crops, and going, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat, that really helps establish, you know, if you have particular goals with your cover crops, uh, that really helps establish those cover crops. I kind of feel like you're leaning the same way other than the fact that you might not have a great wheat market. And so to you, this kind of the corn, soybean rotation is, is kind of what works in, in your area of the world. Is that kind of a safe assumption or do you want to kind of hit on that a little bit more? I would absolutely agree with that statement. The yields following a wheat with a mix of a cover crop, we had some of the greatest yields we've ever seen on fields following that rotation. So planting wheat, then a cover crop, and then coming back with either corn or soybeans, we saw very, very impressive yields. But in our size operation, we just decided the effort that it takes to plant a small amount of wheat harvest it and deal with all that. And then you've got to have wheat either in a grain bin or take it all to town. It just got to be more of a hassle than we really wanted to deal with. So we chose to go away from it and just stick to the two crop rotation and go with the rye. But if I did have wheat, I would love to plant that four species mix of a cover crop. I just had fantastic results planting that because you can plant it in August timeframe, maybe get mm -hmm. you a couple of rains here and there. And it really gets well established uh, in the fall before things freeze up. And the great thing about that mix, if you only have a small amount of rye in there, you don't really have to go in there in the spring of the year to try and terminate it. All the other things, the field peas, the radishes and the turnips, they winter kill, they die from the cold. So we don't have to go out there and try and kill it in the spring of the year which was another huge bonus because the rye, we do have to terminate that some way, shape, or form in the spring of the year. So this played right into my next question because I know that there are some people that struggle with that. So what, what has been kind of the, the program that you've had in place to really increase that termination point on that ryegrass so that you're not pulling anything from the, the corn or the soybeans, the, the next crop? 
because of trial and error, we've had several different ways that we've been forced to terminate it. Uh, (laughs) So every year that we started in rye, we would increase acres, increase acres until I had one year, I had three quarters of the farm planted into rye. And while I, I really enjoyed that and the harvest after that was fantastic, the nightmare was terminating it in the spring because it was a late spring. It was a wet spring. And we had to spray everything and we left ruts in the field, which is not what I wanted to do. But thankfully, when the rye is growing, as long as you can keep your sprayer on the rye, it actually holds it up very, very well. And you don't really get a lot of ruts. So we had some ruts in some spots in the wet areas, which was not ideal. But the benefits in having the rye out there over the whole field outweighed the detriment of having a few ruts here and there from the sprayer. Now, at that period of time, we were planting the entire field into rye. We've kind of scaled back mainly because of the termination that's required and the worry of a wet spring. So we've kind of settled on, we do portions of the field. We do the areas of the field that we feel really need the benefit of the cover crop, whether that's erosion or pulling up moisture in the spring, those types of things. And we've actually stopped spraying it in the spring of the year. Our ideal scenario is, especially on soybean ground, we just leave the soybean stubble in the fall. We plant with a drill. We go out and we plant our rye right into that field. And then we come in in the spring with a field cultivator just to level things off. We're not Mm -hmm. trying to go deep. We're just trying to level things off. And it clips off the tops of the rye. It won't kill it, but it, it clips it off. And it stunts it enough that... Once we come in and we do our first pass or our pre-emerge for soybeans, we can put in a product that will terminate that rye at that time. And we don't see any issues with pulling too much moisture or hurting the soybeans or the emergence. We've had no issues with that whatsoever. Today's episode is brought to you by our new partnership with Solar. We're saying goodbye to our electric bill. At the end of 2021, we made the decision to get solar panels. The solar company we have partnered with has made things so quick and seamless. They finished our installation on two of our projects within 24 hours. There are incredible tax benefits and no electric bill. That makes it a win-win. The company we're working with even financed the project at less than 2% interest with no money down. That makes our monthly payment $100 less than our electric bill was. You can get your free quote at www.abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Again, abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Okay, that's fantastic. To me, I think that's important to know because I think is one kind of hurdle that some growers have in trying to figure out a a cover crop, uh, cash crop rotation, or, you know, if they're really comfortable putting ryegrass down or, you know, how to treat it. But it kind of sounds like as long as you have that kind of that game plan that you can make some of this stuff work. But what would you say to the grower that would happen to be listening from a few hundred miles or, you know, even a thousand miles away that says, yeah, I appreciate that, Robin, but that just doesn't work in my neck of the woods. What do you recommend to those growers? (laughs) Well, because I do so much testing on this farm, most of the things that I try, if I tell some of the area local people, they'll say, yeah, it's fine. It just doesn't work. Right. Well, yeah, I made it work. Uh, you can try it. You can make anything work if you do enough research, look into it, 
start small, do a little trial area here and there. It's been through trial and error on our farm that we've gotten to the plan that we are today, where we plant the portions of the field. You know, having to spray the entire field in the spring was not something I wanted to continue to do. It has shaped our cover crop program. And it's just because it's trial and error. It's things that we've learned by doing it. And we started small. I would say to anybody, if they're interested in cover crops, definitely give it a try. But start small. Try a little area and see if you've got a benefit. Also, try to incorporate it into what you're already doing. So in the fall year, yes, it's a crazy time. It's harvest. You got a million things to get done and you're exhausted. (laughs) It, It doesn't take much just to go out and drill in a few areas of cover crop to try and then you're done. It just grows over winter. And then if you can incorporate it into your spring program without spending a lot of extra effort, I mean... Having to go out and spray it in the spring as a separate pass, that's a lot of extra effort, wear and tear on the sprayer, hours on you. By us being able to incorporate it into our pre-emerge pass, it's not really affecting anything other than a little bit of extra herbicide. So definitely think about incorporating it into what you're already doing. Don't go and spend a ton of money trying this and don't go whole hog. Start small, but give it a try. So kind of along those lines, what would you kind of recommend as maybe some advice or or places to look this research? And, you know, you mentioned that earlier, you do uh, a lot of research yourself. You're kind of a technical guy. You like that stuff. So, so the growers that that are listening, they're like, okay, you know what? I, I get it. Robin made a great point that I need to go out and I need to do this. I need to make a game plan. And we're starting the beginning of 2022. So uh, maybe a little bit late in the year to try to, you know, fly on some covers or maybe frost seed some stuff. I don't know if we'd quite get the benefit out of it, but we can make a game plan for the end of 2022. So what would you recommend as resources or, uh, you know, where are these people that are new to this going to go find some of that research and some of that technical information they would need to know about different, you know, varieties that they might be able to purchase or, or when to seed them or, or any of that stuff? What would you recommend? The way that I had started is uh, our friend Google. I just went into Google and started (laughs) typing in cover crop seed. And eventually, for me, being in the state of Minnesota, I went to the University of Minnesota to their website and and started looking at that. And there's tons of universities that have lots of data out there on different cover crop species. A lot of farm shows, outdoor farm shows in the summer, late summer and fall are starting to have cover crop areas as well to show different products. It's very important, I think, to find out what are the benefits of that species of cover crop. So we ended up on cereal rye because of some of the things it's doing to the soil and that it's a nitrogen scavenger and some things like that, which are specifics that we really wanted. There are some cover crop species out there that can become invasive, like annual ryegrass. There's also some clovers that can cause some emergent problems for either soybeans or corn. So you definitely want to do a little bit of research on what you're planting. But a lot of these universities all have great data on what are the benefits of each of these different species of cover crop. I found several presentations online where they talk about the benefit of uh, cereal rye versus annual rye and what nutrients it uses and what Mm -hmm. it leaves in the soil. I would certainly leverage universities, but just Google it and you're going to find a ton of data that's already out there uh, right at your fingertips. 
And I certainly appreciate that. And I, just to add to this, I can't stress what you just said enough that when you do your research, you've got to have that goal in mind. You mentioned it before that kind of had some yellowing areas that you needed to know, you know, what was going on there. You kind of had some steeper hillsides that you knew that erosion was a problem, but there, there are absolutely different blends and mixes that you can use when you're trying to go ahead of soybeans or trying to go ahead of corn or, or maybe another crop, or maybe it's, you know, you said scavenge for some nitrogen or, you know, carbon fixation. There are a lot of different blends and different things that you can do that are positive, but there are also some things that you could do accidentally that are detrimental that are negative. So definitely go out there and do your research on this, right? Don't just go out and just go buy something, you know, willy nilly and and go throw it out there without having that kind of that goal or plan in place. Would you kind of agree with that as well? Absolutely. You have to be careful of what you're planting because you don't want something that's going to adversely affect a crop. I know there are some products you can put out there that will affect germination in corn, that will affect some of your early growth stages in corn. And and that would really be a disaster if you planted something that would give you that result. So not only are you spending money on some seed, then you're also hurting your cash crop yield. So you really, really want to be careful. Now, I don't want people to freak out about that. It just means just spend a little bit of time researching the pros and the cons of each seed. Now, another place you can go is there's a lot of different seed providers that also sell cover crop seed. And a lot of these providers also have good information on the benefits of each of the different mixes and blends. If you are a cattle guy, I kind of wish we still had cattle and I would put a grazing package out there. uh, Oh, sure. We can put the cattle in the field and do some grazing, but uh, not sure we're ready to jump back into cattle yet, but if we had cattle, we'd be taking a hard look at that. Yeah, see, and I always relate cattle or even livestock in general to having uh, teenagers, but instead of having like two, three, four teenagers, now you have like two, three, four hundred teenagers because they're always hungry, they never listen, and most of the time they're not where they're supposed to be. So I always say that about <laughs> livestock. Uh, I definitely like my row crops for sure. So, well, with that, Robin, I mean, do you have anything else to add? As we kind of close out here, I, I think that was fantastic. I really appreciate your insight coming from the, the grower side of it. Yeah, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, the only thing I would say from my experience, we like to try and follow the combine as much as possible during soybean harvest, especially. And we have tried many times broadcasting seed out there. We've tried to broadcast it, then till it in. We've tried to till and then broadcast. We just have not seen good results in that in our part of the world. For us, it's really worked out best to drill it in in some way. We just have a simple old press drill that we run across the field with and as quickly as we can. And uh, that's really given us the best possible results. And it's, you know, it's nice in the dead of winter to see pretty green rows out there too. Like <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> yeah. And I always relate a drill to a, a controlled spill <laughs> instead of, yeah. a, instead of yeah. a drill, but yeah, they absolutely work fantastic. And that's a great point, you know, with my very little experience, I even thought about back in the day, I shouldn't say back in the day, it was about five years ago, I had a haggy. And that was, you know, I thought about interceding some stuff, but the, everything I heard even back then, five, six, eight years ago is that it's better to be able to get that seed. Although it doesn't need to be in the ground very far, it still needs to be in the ground a little bit. There's that seed to soil concept. 
that is absolutely vital. And so even if you're running out there with that drill, it's still far better than just going out and kind of broadcast spreading some of this stuff. So, yeah, a hundred percent agree. We were kicking around the idea of putting a, a small broadcast hopper on our self-propelled sprayer yep. to go out there late season in soybeans. But the amount of seed you need to add in to overcompensate for a poor germination to get it started is not really worth it. Uh, at yep. least in our part of the world, it's just best to go out there with the drill, put it in very shallow because if you work it in, you're either putting it in too deep or it's laying on top. So we just found just to drill it in is by far the best way to get a good start in the fall. So you have something growing in the spring so you can hold back that water and erosion. Yep, absolutely. And I'm just going to throw a nice little plug in here for anybody that knows anything about what we do at A Better Way to Farm that we work exclusively with the Conklin company. They've got a product called Amplify D that's a seed treatment. It works fantastic on small grains, especially cover crops. So I'm going to throw that out there for everybody listening, wants to do some cover crops. I would definitely recommend using Amplify D. A big thank you to everyone who has taken the time to review the podcast. Moving forward, we are going to start sharing these one review each week. This week's review is from Michael Fiddler. Very practical. The Better Way to Farm podcast is full of secrets to raise better crops on less money. They go in-depth on what the crops need and how to apply it. Also teaches growers the tools they need to have the power in their own hands. Michael, we appreciate you. Thank you very much. But Robin, thank you very much for the time today, man. We greatly appreciate the conversation and I really appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, sir. And we hope that you enjoyed this cover crop episode and ask that you please rate this, hopefully with five stars, review our content and even drop a comment on maybe some future episodes that we could do. We also ask that you follow A Better Way to Farm on Facebook and we ask that you like and share the page with family, friends, or anyone you may know that'll find value in what we do. And as always, we hope that you have a better day. A better way to farm.com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.